What a great day to be in church. Look at all those beautiful faces. I can see you looking at me. No pressure. <laughs> hey, um, if I haven't met you before, my name's Anthony and I'm a part of the team here at York Street and it's my, my joy to bring you the message today. Hey, we're, um, we're wrapping up our series on King David um, called The King and I, rolling into next week when we start Christmas. I'm a bit of a Grinch at Christmas time, but tell you one thing that does bring me a lot of joy is reverse advent calendar. Um, it's really cool to see that kicking off again this year and growing year on year. It's amazing. Hey, um, so we're, we're looking at David, and the title of today's message is God of Second Chances. See, David wasn't perfect like you and I. I wonder if you've ever made any mistakes or, or done anything wrong in your life. Me either. It's all good. Don't worry. Um, but King David, yeah, he, he made a few poor choices, yeah? Um, and we see that, that God gives him a second chance. He, he forgives him and shows him mercy and love. But what made him different, David that is, to say King Saul, the king before him, he was a dodgy bloke as well. And he, he didn't get a second chance. He, he lost his title as king and he, he, yeah, he died and, and David took over from him. So I guess what does that mean for us too, this side of the cross, since Jesus has, has been and died and rose again, what does that mean for us as Christians today? And what does it look like for us to come before God with, with those things that maybe we don't quite get right? Hey, let's pray before we start, hey? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you continue to reveal yourself to us on each and every page of scripture. Thank you that you can continue to teach us and guide us and show us your ways. We pray that your spirit might speak to us today and change us and grow us into the men and women of God that you desire for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So to add a bit of context as to where we're up to in the sequence of events with David, right? So we've, we've seen the rise and fall of King Saul. Sounds like a movie. But um, he, he was pretty egotistical. He, he made a lot of mistakes. He was selfish and he was mean. And he, he sought the appro approval of people and worldly things and, and didn't honour God with his life or with his kingship. And so then King Saul dies and David is installed as king. And David's attitude is completely different. He, he honours God with all that he does and all that he has. He's kind and generous, cares about people and he, he cares about God. We see that David trusts God in all that he does. He, he trusted God when he picked up those stones to defeat Goliath. And we saw that he honoured God in his decision not to kill Saul in the cave, even though he had the opportunity and could have. And we saw last week that he wanted to honour God by moving the, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the, the dwelling place of God, into a, a, a better place than a tent because he, he knew and, and felt that God deserved so much more. And we saw that through the Psalms, David writes songs and poems of worship and lament. He's a bit up and down. So this is where things take a sharp turn for David. Now, I'm going to summarise this next bit for you for two reasons. One, maybe it'll save a bit of time, but two, to keep it G-rated, yeah? So here's David on the rooftop of his palace. You might know where this is going for people who have been around church for a while. On his rooftop and looking out, and he, 
his eye is caught on a woman bathing across the way. He calls to his men and says, who's that? And they say, that is someone else's wife. Her name is Bathsheba, and she is the wife of one of your uh, soldiers, Uriah. And so then he makes a choice to get his men to bring Bathsheba to him, and they spend some time together, and next minute she's pregnant. So what happens from here is that David tries to backtrack a bit because he's in all sorts of strife because Uriah's been on the battlefield and now his wife's pregnant. It's a little bit awkward. Uh, A lot awkward. Um, (laughs) So what he does is he invites uh, Uriah back from the battlefield and tries to send him home to spend time with his wife. And he's not keen on it. Why should I come back from the battlefield and leave leave all my, my friends and my colleagues and those, those people that are fighting with me, why should I leave them behind? He's not so keen. And David really tries to encourage him, and he doesn't do it. So then David makes another decision. He, he talks to his army of men and arranges for them to retreat and leave Uriah on the front line of battle, and he's killed. So at this point, David then goes on to marry Bathsheba, and he thinks everything's all fine. He thinks he's got away with it. But then he received a visit from Nathan. Now, I'm not sure if you remember from last week, Nathan is the court prophet. He's kind of like his spiritual advisor. He's he's left-hand man. Nathan comes to him, and that's the scripture we're going to have a look at today. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting at verse 1. And Nathan comes to David and, and shares with him a story just to see if he might be able to recognise some of the characters. And so Nathan says to David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew up, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, and the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal, and instead took the small ewe lamb from the poor man and prepared it for the traveller. So David is all cross. He is burning with anger and says to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then uh, then Nathan said to David, You're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Uh Uh-oh, he's been found out. Now, this is just a little bonus 
for you. It's not a part of the, the message. But God knows and sees everything. You can't hide from him, right? So you can try and cover your tracks as much as you like, but he knows. That's a bonus. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. He, the penny drops. He, he finally sees that the, the story that's being presented is him and all that he's done wrong. He admits it and he repents. See, this is what sets David apart from Saul. It's his heart's posture. Both Saul and David both had many downfalls. Saul sought out to kill David in order to to keep his throne and, and, and his power. Saul was consistently cruel and selfish. He made mistakes, and rather than reconciling them with the Lord, he tried to fix them himself, and his temper got in the way. David has just got a married woman pregnant and murdered the husband, trying to cover his tracks. This doesn't at all excuse his behaviour. But David had a heart for God in the midst of his flaws, in the midst of his his personal failures. And this is the key difference between these two guys, their relationship with God. Both men made mistakes, but they treated them very, very differently. When David made mistakes, he goes to God, asking for forgiveness and to repent of what he's done. He constantly strives to be in the presence of God and goes to him for advice. And this is why David keeps God's favour and Saul did not. True repentance is the key. Tell you a little story. I wonder if you've ever been anywhere and you kind of understand what's going on, but you're a bit lost. One time when I started uni, it was like the start of term and I was ready for the the next unit that I had to do, tax accounting 705 or whatever the the code was, right? So I go to the lecture theatre, find my seat. Not many people that I recognise, but that's okay. The teacher looks really different too, but, you know, I'm here ready to learn. Then they start their presentation and it doesn't quite sound what I thought, like it's not the content that I thought, but okay, maybe. Then the presentation comes up. Introduction to chemical engineering. Not my class. I could hear it, I could understand the words, but I I didn't understand the context. I didn't understand everything that was going on. And see, sometimes in our our Christian walks, perhaps we we use words or, or, you know, throw words, words out there that maybe we don't understand the full weight of or that we don't understand the context of. And today, as we're looking at repentance, I wonder whether we might have a look at this guy on the screen. Oh, smooth. I don't know how many people come to faith through these kinds of scenarios, but someone yelling at me on a street corner is probably not going to entice me, particularly when it says repent and, or perish, two words that we kind of throw around, but at, at first glance, we probably don't really understand the depth of, particularly if you're, no, particularly if you're not a, yet a Christian. And so as we reflect today on repentance, The first thing I want us to consider is true repentance doesn't end at confession. See, at surface level, most of us probably agree that being sorry for or saying sorry for the things we've done is repenting. And maybe we think that's enough. 
In the original Greek, repentance, the word it translates to metanoia. And, and the word metanoia is commonly understood to be a transformative change of heart, especially repudiation. Oh, good word. I didn't know what it meant until now. But it means to completely change what you perceive as truth or what your understanding of something might be, to change your mind. But conversion or reformation may be a more appropriate translation. See, saying sorry isn't quite enough. And see, I think it's made up of two things. And as you know, I'm an accountant, so I've got a graph, which is really cool. Um, so the first part is a change in our thinking. Yeah? So we, we need to mentally and emotionally understand what we've done is wrong. That, that we truly and deeply believe in the depths of our heart that we weren't honouring God with what we did. Whatever those things may be, they might be big or they might be small. That, that's less important, but what's important is that heart's posture. Our willingness to accept and own our actions before God. But repentance doesn't stop there. So far, that's confession. Confessing with your mouth and your heart your sins. But repentance also includes a change in action. Not doing those things anymore that were displeasing to God. That's standing in the way of a full relationship with God. And we can't really have one without the other. If we confess and don't change our actions, well, it's pointless because we're back where we started. And if we change our actions and don't understand why, then nothing's reconciled with God. There's no, you haven't included him in that situation. The action part, as I'm sure you're aware, can often be the harder part of this equation. But we're all in this together. My, jo- my joke about none of us doing anything wrong before or, or that we're all perfect couldn't be farther, further from the truth, yeah? We, we all stuff up in some way, some, some shape or form, it, it, probably every single day. We do. And thankfully, we do this thing called life together, together with each other and together with God. See, this side of the cross, we're given an opportunity to directly access the Father through a relationship with Jesus. True repentance is not only a change in thinking, but a change in action. Second point is true repentance is not without consequence. See, repentance almost becomes irrelevant to consequence because if we're repenting to avoid what might happen to us, it's not true repentance. That's fear and shame. We're, we're merely, if we're trying to merely avoid the punishment and the retribution, then again, we need to question our heart's posture. And so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And then Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. See, often we still need to accept the consequences of our actions. David's sons and and other family members were killed as a result of his actions. God spared him, but took the members of his family away. And we know how much of an emotional dude David is. 
So that's probably even more painful than his life being taken from him. Often God won't remove the consequence of our actions, but yet he guides us through it and he might reveal a purpose and an opportunity. It's not necessarily a get-out-of-jail-free card. We read in Romans 8.28 that in all things God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, God has a plan. He had a plan through David, and David messed up and was still able to achieve powerful things. His his purpose in David's life has multiple aspects to it, but one of them we know is that the family line of David, out of that, that family line came Jesus. And see, he used the situation of David to to uh, bring about his plan. It's a bit like a GPS in the car, right? If I put in number 410 York Street and program it to come here, even if I take the wrong turn, it will try and redirect me. Even if I go in the complete opposite direction, it will still be trying to tell me to return back here to number 410. But I need to have put in my destination, yeah? I need to have made the choice as to where I'm going because I could just turn off the GPS and go anywhere I like. He has a plan in David's story, he has a plan in the story of Jesus, and he has a plan in your story. Do not turn off the GPS. True repentance unlocks grace. John Piper, an American pastor and theologian, shared this, repenting means experiencing a change of mind that now sees God as true and beautiful and worth all of our praise and all of our obedience. See, thankfully that same plan God had for David included us. It was the plan. It included all of humanity. God is fully aware that we're sinful people. We make mistakes and we we stuff things up. Humanity has been doing it for thousands of years. But God's plan was to restore humanity to himself. And he used David and his descendants. He used Jesus and he uses us. Jesus is the ultimate king to whom no worldly king could ever compare. And as a result of Jesus, we now have that direct access to God. At the cross, Jesus took on all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, all of those poor decisions we make, all of those things we've done wrong, and he turned it back to us as love and acceptance, and he turned it back to us in his grace. We don't deserve it. Just like David, we deserve the punishment for our our wrongdoings. We deserve the justice God uh, would, would have for us. We see David deserved death, and in in Old Testament times, adultery and murder certainly needed, uh, the punishment was certainly death. But God showed his mercy and spared his life. There was still the consequence, but his life was spared. God was merciful. This side of the cross, since Jesus, we see that actually extended more than his justice and his mercy to us. Through repentance, he extended us his grace. 
Grace is not only greater than justice and mercy. It's more than that. It's love and it's blessing. It's relationship with our creator. It's eternity with God the Father. We deserve death, but in fact, we're given eternal life through Jesus. Not only being saved from punishment, but we are given every spiritual blessing, not because of our actions, but because of his actions on the cross. As we draw into a time of communion today, I wonder whether there's something churning away inside of you, something that maybe you need to lay before God today. Maybe there's something you need to change in your thinking, and from that, maybe there's something that needs to change in your actions. I wonder whether there's something in your life that has a pretty big consequence, and you're still working through it. But remember, repentance and consequence aren't necessarily related. I wonder whether you need to invite Jesus into your heart to do some work today, to fill you again, not only with his justice and mercy, but his undeserved grace. Accept God's second chance through Jesus today. Now, I'm going to invite you to come forward and and collect your communion elements. There's some tables at the front and there's, there's one at the back. And as we share in this time of reflection, I'm going to read one of David's psalms over us as a reminder, as, an ability, as a moment of reflection to be able to spend some time with God today and see what he might be asking you to do. As we prepare for communion, I'm going to read Psalm 51. And in the NIV, it has this title, For the Director of Music, a Psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. I'd want to read it across us today. Let the words wash over you. Let God's words speak to your heart today and reflect on, the, on our, our loving and gracious King, the Lord Jesus. Let's close our eyes as, as I read this. I'll keep mine open. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach my transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Saviour, 
and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Like I mentioned earlier, we're all on this journey together. If you need support or prayer, we have staff and elders and others around that would be more than willing to, to pray with you and for you. Perhaps there's something you need to lay down today and pray that Jesus might replace the shame, the pain, the embarrassment, whatever it is, with his incredible grace today. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for, for this time together. We pray that your word would, would settle in our hearts that your words would not only bring us comfort, but draw us into a place of change. Maybe a change in our thinking that would lead to a change in our actions. That we might bring our brokenness before you today. We know we don't deserve all that you give us, but we pray that, you might, that we might be able to truly repent of those things in our lives that hold us back from your incredible and perfect plan for us. Reveal to us the second chances you have for us today. Thank you, Father God, for your blessing and your favour. I pray right now for each heart that hears this message today, whether it's in the room or online, that you would send your peace and your grace today on each person, I pray. Fill us with your loving kindness, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.